Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. This series is Relationship Status. This message is entitled Keeping the Love of Your Life. Keeping the Love of Your Life. Let me give a little bit of background on Ephesians. Ephesians has six chapters, and uh, some of the time, not all the time, Paul will take a book, and the first half of it, he will devote to beliefs. And the second half of the book, he will show how to put those beliefs into practice. Uh, He doesn't do that on every book, but in Ephesians, he does. In Ephesians, the first three chapters deal with the doctrine of the church is the body of Christ. That is, when you and I, when the world sees us, although they may not realize it, they are looking at the body of Christ. That's who we are. This building is not a church. You and I are the church. Christians make up the church. So the first three chapters, the church is the body of Christ doctrine. And then the last three chapters, Paul says, now here's how that doctrine, the church is the body of Christ, looks like in real life, fleshing it out. And he shows us, he gets down to some real specifics about how the church as the body of Christ should look. And in the section of scripture that I'm going to read this morning, In Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verses 21 through 33, he says, here's how the church as the body of Christ ought to look in your marriage relationship. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I read about a husband who read an article about uh, how that women, on average, use about 30,000 words a day, speak 30,000 words a day. In contrast, men speak about half that, about 15,000 words a day. And he brought this up to his wife, which by the way, I don't recommend you doing guys. That's not a good way to start off the day, but he decided to mention to his wife, honey, I read this article and you ladies speak an average of 30,000 words a day. We speak 15,000 words a day. And his wife said, well, the reason for that is we're constantly having to repeat what we say to you. And the man said, what? 
<laughs> there was a couple who asked a pastor if he could perform their marriage ceremony. And like most pastors, he proceeded to tell them that he required several sessions of premarital counseling before he would marry them. And they said, well, we don't really need that. We don't need counseling. We've been married several times, so we don't need any counseling. There's a, st- a statistic that I-, I wish weren't true, but it is true. It has been true for a good while, and, and here is the statistic. <clears throat> 50% of all marriages in the United States of America end in divorce within the first seven years of marriage. 50%. One out of two. And it has stayed that way for a long time. When I meet with couples who want to get married and uh, go through the premarital counseling, one of the, one of the first things I say to them is, I say, uh, if, if you turned on uh, the news today and Glenn Burns or, or uh, Paul Osman or whoever you watch for your news, the weather channel, if they said to you, there's a 52% chance of rain beginning at 5 o'clock tonight, would you take an umbrella? And almost universally, they would say, they say to me either yes or probably I would take an umbrella. And I proceed then to say, well, there's a 52% chance that you will divorce in seven years. You see, I thought it was 50%. Well, it's 50% for the general population. It's 52% for Christian couples. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that a contradiction? I mean, Paul here, he takes a letter and he very, very concisely and clearly separates it into the first three chapters, belief, and then the last three chapters, behavior. The first three chapters, doctrine, and the last three chapters, duty. The first three chapters, creed, and the last three chapters, conduct. Here is the doctrine The church is the body of Christ, and here is how that doctrine ought to look, how it ought to play out, flesh out in our lives. And in this section, here's how it ought to look in your marriage. And yet, there's a slightly higher percentage of Christian couples who divorce as opposed to people in the general population. I think Paul would say to us, That's not the way it ought to be. If two people are Christians and they are genuinely following Christ, there ought to be a a, a less, a a smaller percentage of those folks uh, separating and divorcing than in the general population, but it's not the case. I appreciate the fact that Paul talks about marriage here. Some folks don't like the fact that he talked about marriage at all because Paul, so far as we know, was never married. And so some would contend, what does Paul, what right does Paul, what, what qualifies Paul to talk to us about marriage? He wasn't even married. People who've never been married, what can they say to us? And I would agree with that, except for the fact that Paul was inspired by the Spirit of God, and so maybe he has something to say from God's vantage point. And in this passage, he teaches us some things that I think would help those of us who are married to keep the love of our lives. The first thing he tells us is, and you already know this, it takes two. It takes two. 
The opening verse, verse 21, which by the way, in some of your Bibles, verse 21, if you have a Bible that's separated by, separates the scripture in paragraphs, uh, I've noticed that in, in my Bible in, in Ephesians chapter 5, it, it puts verse 21 with the previous section of verses instead of with the section about marriage. I think that's a mistake. I think it goes with the section on marriage. Because he begins this verse saying, submit to one another. Now, the only way that one person could submit to another is if there are two involved. One person can't submit to one another because you have to have another person. So it takes two. A few years ago, a couple came into my office. They had called and set up an appointment to come talk with me. And and it was a couple, a married couple. They'd been married several years. And there had been some infidelity on the part of one of the the, uh, spouses in the marriage. And they came to me uh, for uh, marriage counseling. And I sat with them for a few minutes together. And then I said, I'd like to meet with you for a a few minutes separately. And so the husband went out and I talked with the wife. And then the wife went out and I talked with the husband. And and to both of them, I addressed this question. Do you want to salvage your marriage? And fortunately, both of them, the husband and the wife, separately said, absolutely, absolutely. He is the love of my life. She is the love of my life. I, I, we want to, I, you know, the one, who, the one who was unfaithful said, absolutely, I made a terrible mistake. It shouldn't have happened, but I, I want to save my marriage. And from that point on, I was able to work. Now, a, a couple of years before that, there was another married couple who came to me for counseling, and, and it was one in which there was also infidelity. And when I met with them separately and I asked them, do you want to salvage this marriage? One of them said, oh, yes, absolutely. He is the absolute love of my life. And, but when I met with him, he said, I don't know. It takes two. It takes two. Submit yourselves to one another. Second, Paul tells us that a little give and take will go a long way. Again, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a principle here in this small verse. The principle is mutual submission, mutual submission. But I don't like technical words, so let's give it, let's give it a, 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 a better phrase, give and take. It takes a little give and take. Now, some folks, especially those who are of old school, they would, they would look back on these verses and they'd say, well, uh, obviously the Bible's very clear. Uh, a husband is to love his wife, but it is the wife who is to submit to her husband in everything. There's only a one-way submission. That is not what Paul says at all. In fact, he, he tells us, submit to one another. There's mutual submission. Yes, the wife must submit to the husband, but also there are times when the husband must submit to the wife. I call that a little give and take. And you can talk with any married couple who's been married any length of time at all. And if they're honest with you, they will tell you that it takes a little give and take. What is give and take? It means that there are times in your marriage when you have to sacrifice what you want and think you need in order to, uh, to satisfy and, and meet the needs and the wants of your spouse. And then there are times when your spouse must sacrifice uh, uh, her needs or his needs in order to meet yours. 
It's give and take. Any marriage, any marriage where only one person is getting what he or she wants all the time to the exclusion and to the neglect of the other one, I'm telling you, it will not last. It takes two, and within that taking of two, a little give and take goes a long way. Number three, beginning with verse 22, Paul directs his words to the ladies. Now, ladies, I don't know why he picked you out first, but he did. And here's what he said. He said, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior, and as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, the best way that I know of, ladies, that you can submit to your husband it's not by going, yes, sir, no, sir, or, or, or bowing in his face. That's, that's ridiculous. That's a caricature. But the way that you can best submit to your husband is by finding out what he needs. And to do this, you need to have a heart-to-heart talk with him uh, at a time when he's going to be honest and open with you. And guys, you've got to be honest with her. She asks you what you need. You have to tell her. And if it's not illegal... Ladies, give it to him. I'll tell you what he wants more than anything, though, and, and this, is, this is not based upon my own feelings. This is based upon surveys and studies that I have read over the past 30 years. What your husband needs from you more than anything else, he needs your appreciation, your admiration, your affirmation. It's the way he's built. It's the way God has built him. And listen, ladies, if, if anybody is going to show appreciation to your husband, it ought to be first you. You ought to be first in line to do that. And it ought to be commonplace for you to appreciate him. Now, this becomes a real problem the longer that we're together. Because the longer we're together, the more familiar we are with each other. Familiarity is both your worst enemy and your best friend in marriage. It becomes your worst enemy in that the things we ought to do for one another, we take for granted in our familiarity and we don't do them. That's a killer, worst enemy. But also later on when you're married, when you're married as long as Amanda and I have, then familiarity becomes your best friend because you rely on each other and you depend on each other and you count on each other. So let familiarity work for you, not against you. But ladies, appreciate your man. Stand by your man. Let him know what he means to you. Let him know that you believe nobody does what he does as well as he does. But guys, the biggest part of this section, Paul devoted to the guys. You know what that meant? We have to hear a whole lot more. Guys, treat her like a precious queen. I mean that in the most positive way. A precious queen because she is one. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. You say, oh, I got that down right. Uh, But don't stop there. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. What does it mean to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Do you realize, folks, when Christ looks at you, 
if Christ were here physically, he's here in, in, in the presence of his Holy Spirit, but if he were here physically and he were looking at you, he would be gushing at you. Not with an erotic love, but in a sacrificial love. He'd be looking out at you as if every one of you were, were his, his grandchildren. I can say that because, because like Toby, I have, a, I have a grandbaby now. And let me tell you, I gush every time I see her. I can pull out my cell phone and that little, that little grandbaby of mine is the one that meets me on my cell phone. I love her. I gush at her. And I will tell you that when, when Christ loved the church, it means that he looks at you and he just wants you. He wants to be with you. He wants to speak with you. He wants you to speak with him. And so I'm saying that to us guys. We need to look at our wives with all of the wonder and the awe and the respect and the reverence. When we look at our wives as Christ does the church. And I'm telling you guys, ladies have a hard time in in our world. They really do. I mean, for the, for the past 60, 70 years, there have been magazines, there have been television programs, there have been all kinds of different pageants, and, 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 and the media has tried to, sh- tried to show us exactly what a woman ought to look like, even though they put up a, an absolute impossible model for us to follow. And then so many women in our world, I'm talking about beautiful women, they, they look at that and they realize they can't be that, and they feel down on themselves. And guys, we're the ones who've got to let them know they're queens. Listen, I, my wife, I, I've said this in the first service. I've said this to her next to the Lord. She's the best thing that ever happened to me. I've never deserved her. I don't deserve her now. She is the light of my life. Treat her like a queen. Treat her like she's the only thing that matters. Number five. Commitment is essential. Verse 31, in verse 31, Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is where I like the King James Version rendering. King James says this, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his, his wife. You know the word cleave. Cleave means hanging on for dear life. It's what I do if anybody ever rarely gets me on a roller coaster. I don't ride roller coasters, but if anybody ever gets me so out of my mind that they can talk me onto a roller coaster, one thing you can count on me doing, I'm going to get the nearest piece of metal that is welded to another piece of metal, and I'm going to cleave it. That's what cleave means. Leave father and mother and cleave, cleave, Cleave implies a commitment, a sacrificial commitment. But commitment is, is a word that we've, we've tossed around so much we don't even know what it means anymore. So let me, let me throw a little paraphrase word here. I don't know if this is a word, but it is for me. stick to Stick-to-itiveness. Commit yourself. Make the decision. Now, if you haven't already, to commit yourself, to stick to this person, no matter what, short of physical abuse. I don't encourage anybody to stay in a marriage where there's physical abuse. 
but stick to it if you can. Commitment is essential. And then number six, communication is crucial. We don't talk enough. We're either on the phone or we're on the computer or we're watching Netflix or we're watching a ball game or we're talking with other people. And what we really need is more just one-on-one time. Us guys, we're not as good at it as the ladies are by and large. And we need to make the time to sit there, listen to her, talk with her, listen to her some more, talk with her, listen to her some more. And not be willing, guys, I'm talking to you, not be willing when she asks us a question to immediately in our mind go to the default position of what's the shortest answer I can answer her truthfully in order to get out of this conversation. Because you see, in your mind, you're looking for the shortest true answer to get out of the conversation. You, you say, well, I've been truthful to her. And she's thinking, is he hiding something? What's he hiding? He doesn't want to talk to me. Communication. Communication has three aspects. Whether you say something. By all means, say something. Then, what you say. The words we use... The words we use can either build someone up or they can break them down. They can either be productive or they can be destructive. Be careful the words you use when you speak to each other. Guys, speak to her like she's a princess. Ladies, speak to him like you um, admire him. And then how you say what you say. The Bible tells us that a soft answer turns away anger. Listen, let your words speak volumes rather than your decibels speak volumes in your marriage. Communication is essential. And then finally, and I'll say this every week when we talk about relationships, a genuine relationship with Christ enhances all of your relationships. Listen, if, you're fo- if, if both of you are Christians and both of you are actively following Christ to the best of your ability, you still won't be perfect. You'll still make mistakes, absolutely. But at least your relationship with, Christ, with Christ, if it overflows into your marriage relationship, it cannot help but enhance your relationship. Get to know Christ. Get, him to, get to know him better and let Christ work through you to love your spouse. You say, well, I just don't feel the same anymore. Get that feeling back. It's possible. Do it. Nicholas Sparks wrote the notebook. It's about one... It's about a married couple, and one of them has Alzheimer's, and the other one is, is loving that other one to Alzheimer's, even to the point where that person doesn't remember the spouse anymore. And One of the spouses says in the book says, okay, so it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really hard. We're going to have to work at this every day, but I want to do that because I want you. I want all of you. I want all of you forever, every day, you and me, every day. If you need to get help in marriage, get help. Don't be like the couple who wife called and asked to meet with the pastor and his wife. And when, when she met with them, they, they knew in her first sentence that they had made a mistake even meeting with her. She said, first, I want to thank you for seeing me, especially since my husband said he'd kill anybody I talked to about this stuff. Don't wait till that late. Get the help you need. Your marriage is worth it. And I'm telling you, out in the world, 
when people see us, when they see how we treat our wives, guys, when they see how you treat your husbands, girls, they may not realize it, but they're watching the body of Christ in action. Don't be a bad statistic. Improve the statistics for all of us. You can do this. God is standing by to help you do this. But in the event that you're not willing to do it, just in case, do me this favor. Don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these folks are so patient with this preacher, and I'm so grateful for them. You teach us that there are certain things we must believe in order to become a Christian. And those beliefs are important. But you also teach us that it is equally important that, that once we receive you as our Savior, our beliefs translate into behavior. And that being Christians should impact our Christian marriages for good. So Lord, I pray for the marriages, for the relationships the people have in this room. I pray for current ones, for future ones. I pray that people would allow you to work through them, to love through them. So that in the future, there will be a time, before I die, Lord, I pray that there'll be a time when I'll be able to say, did you know Christian marriages... Fewer Christian marriages end in, in divorce than, than marriages out in the general population. Lord, let me be able to truthfully say that. And Lord, I know it begins with a relationship with Christ. It begins with Christ. And Lord, there's somebody here who's never formally invited you to be their Savior. And I pray that they would come right now during this invitation and receive you as their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.